0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, where you get to listen to fascinating conversations with entrepreneurs, investors, authors, and other incredibly smart people. Today, no different of course, we chat with Chris Smith, who is a sales and marketing expert who recently released a new book called The Conversion Code. It's actually the second version of the book. The first book sold so well, but things change in the world of sales and marketing so frequently that Chris decided he needed to update the book based on new things that have happened since the first one was published. In addition, he is also the co-founder of Curator, a pretty large digital marketing company for real estate teams. This company covers challenges facing marketers today, how to find lucrative new channels to get your message out there and grow your distribution, whether that's for a personal brand, for a company you work for, etc. We discuss Chris's approach to always staying ahead of the curve and finding new and interesting things to try as a marketer. We discuss mistakes to avoid while trying to grow your business. We discussed the importance of generating inbound demand. And as always, if you've listened to the show before, we discussed a whole lot more. I'm going to do a quick word from our sponsor, and we will get the show going. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Chris, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be chatting with you today. What's up, man? Excited to be here. You have in your book, The Conversion Code, like a ton of chapters. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of spans like it is almost like a textbook in terms of the, the breadth of the book. So, what would you say? Because, I mean, for people who don't have the table of contents in front of them, like I'm looking sure. to do, I mean, there's like a chapter on every social platform. There's a chapter on like mm-hmm. phone sales. There's a chapter on, I mean, like everything vaguely related to sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. What would you say, kind of all of that? And I don't know if this is a cliche or kind of cringe term or not, is like your specific mm-hmm. superpower. Like you're the best at sure. this particular subset of the whole, everything possibly sales and marketing.
1: Yeah. So I think it, it... Well, that's the thing. It's sales and marketing. And they're very disconnected. And the personalities that dominate each are very different. And so if you if you Google uh, marketing and sales hate each other, it, it has articles over the last 20 years. Every year, there's articles about it. And then you can also find a lot of data that shows the upside of getting those two different departments aligned. And so I would say my superpower is that I'm one of the only people that I know and that I've met that is an A or an A plus at both. So I'm really good at sales. That's what I started with. I did that for a decade before I ever even thought about marketing or social media or personal branding. And then when those things became an option, I got really good at using social digital video to build my brand. But I always did it as a way to kind of feed the funnel and to make sure that it was also growing my business. So I think because I started in the boiler room and then I sort of came out of there to go do marketing, my mindset, my superpower is that I need high quality leads that actually want to talk to us. I don't want to create a reality that I used to have, which was 100, 200 calls You know, people hanging up on you, people cussing you out, people telling you to take you off their list. That life is not great. It sucks. And I've done it. And so I basically tried to combine my two skills, which was high quality inbound content marketing, but then take an outbound boiler room mindset to the follow up. So instead of applying all these tactics of calling a lot and calling quickly and keeping in touch and thinking long term, like instead of applying that where it's almost required because you're going after cold traffic or cold business, if you apply those really needed tactics to the leads that maybe you don't need them on inbound high quality leads, that is when everything starts to click. And the revenue go, goes up and the lead conversion rate goes up and the sales and marketing team are popping bottles together.
0: So you took like a, again, in this podcast, it's easy to hear you say, I did a decade of just this and mm-hmm. people are like, I think have a lot of hubris, like your average podcast listener. Cause they like hear you talking, like I could just, I, I, now I know what he knows. Right. What well, mm-hmm. do you think it's something that people do have to kind of take that segmented approach and just dedicated it to it? Or can someone just try to read your book cover to cover and just, just go for it and keep applying stuff. And eventually something will click.
1: Well, it's a great question because you can read it and learn it. And I'm definitely condensing down a decade and a half worth of knowledge into an eight hour and 45 minute audible, right? Or several hundred page print book. But the answer is no, because you have to do the reps. You have to do the work. It would be like saying, reading a cookbook or reading an exercise book or reading a book about how to be better at video games, that is not the work. That is the library. <laughs> That's the lab. You got to go in the factory and you got to be on the assembly line for a long time before you know how to build the car. I just think that it's fun to think we could skip that step, but we can't. And it sucks to know that that step's required. I get it. But what I'm trying to do for people that let's say are are trying to kind of be smart enough to accelerate and learn from others is basically just say, the mistake to avoid is investing in terrible leads and chasing them around like a lawyer chasing an ambulance. The best lawyers, their phones are ringing. Their phones aren't dialing. Right. But the bad lawyers, they'll take anybody. They're down at the courtroom hoping to run into a criminal to get a new client. So, you know, just choose wisely there. So I'm saying you guys with the podcast you're doing, right. It's content marketing. allows people to learn who you are see your expertise get to know your personality and then they will almost go figure out what you sell they'll figure out what you do there may be ads but if you monetize content through a service like speaking or consulting or whatever that service may be data you know analytics like you guys are doing now people the people that go to your profile are so much better than the people you send to your profile. So that's the beauty of content is that in my experience, when you generate a lead through high quality content marketing or, or through your personal brand, this, you're skipping so many steps. You're going straight to the terms. You're basically have two steps when you do it the right way. Step one, should I work with this person? That's a big, important question to ask. its It shouldn't just be anybody and everybody that wants to work with me Let's figure this out. So step one, does a partnership and working together make sense? Step two, what are the terms? Do the terms make sense for both parties? You're already at like the 10-yard line. You're in the red zone when the play starts. You're not starting at the 20. So that's a huge difference. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I want more people like that. And so then you start investing in content and you start investing in your brand And you don't get quite as obsessed with like MQLs and SQLs and speed to lead and talk time and dials and because those things are sort of infinitely better when you start with a better lead. I had someone text me yesterday. It was a Gary Vee quote or clip. And he said, sales is the price you pay for being bad at marketing. That so... As much as that hurts me to hear because I'm in sales, it is true. The sales tax, the sales tactics that you need to deploy in order to have success are directly correlated to the quality of the marketing that you do. And then of course, the product and service you provide once people actually do move forward, that of course matters too, but he's right. You know you don't need a boiler room if you have a brand
0: yeah that's a lot of the motivation for exactly why we started this podcast was basically you know if and when we have an idea we want to start which is kind of the point i'm at now where i'm finally am launching something it's like theoretically it makes it a lot easier to have kind of all this momentum and network and visibility uh, and as well like the networking because now if i want to get like experts related to kind of the business that i'm doing i don't have mm-hmm. to say hey do you want to come on this podcast i just started it right it's like hey do you want to come on this podcast Here's 150 episodes. These are huge names we've had on the show. This is the, some popular ones. And they're like, okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, the way to get any guest is to get one guest. I mean, we did that on our podcast. It was, you know, we landed Gary V and then in our industry, we landed Gary Keller, who is a billionaire that started Keller Williams. And so when your outreach is, Hey, we recently interviewed Gary V and Gary Keller, and we'd love to have you on hundred percent conversion rate. You're right um versus a lot of the podcasts are just they almost come to you and it's almost like they're like oh my god please if there's any way you could be on we oh my god we'd appreciate it you know they're on their back foot versus on their front foot um yeah well good for you guys i'm glad it's working and so you you're answering your own question by the way you're you did the 150 episodes So now you can speak competently to it, you know, the upside and the downside, you know, what you didn't know when you started, you know, and now you're moving into probably more mastery and next level tactics versus what should our show be about? (laughs) Like, how often should we record one? You know, those are sort of the beginner tactics. Um, So if I were to say one other superpower in the book, it's sort of like, I motivate people to just start and just do something because good Lord, like it's 2022 or beyond. But then at the same time, I more so relate to people that want to turn the corner and do more advanced, awesome, cool marketing stuff, because that's what I do. So it's sort of like, Hey, I got to I got to kind of sell you on the category or sell you on, you know, even why does TikTok matter? Why does Twitter matter? Why do reels matter? So I do the research that sort of backs it up on paper, you know, the business upside of blank. But then when I turn the corner, I, I don't really want to give 101 advice because 101 advice is not going to help anybody anymore. There's too many people, podcasts, blogs, personalities, influencers, businesses, brands. There's too many channels on the internet for yours not to be good is the point. So at this point, the bar has gone up as far as sort of, I think, what people are willing to bring into their feeds. There was a real nice gold rush where everybody liked everything and followed everyone, and then we got burned. How many email newsletters have you unsubscribed from? Probably unsubscribed from more in the last couple of years, (laughs) right? So that that's a, just an interesting thing to think about. Have you actually unsubscribed from more email newsletters than you've subscribed to? Have you actually maybe even unfollowed or hidden or muted more things on social media than added things? So our our behavior is shifting, and so the the sort of shift has to happen along with it. And what's so fascinating to me is that. People see the shift and they know the shift is happening and they observe the shift, they don't make the shift.
0: So, that's what I wanted to ask about next in terms of shifts. We're kind of having this discussion prompted by book two or version two of the same book. uh, Mm -hmm. Less so in terms of, you know, I don't know when the first book was published and how popular TikTok was, uh, but less so in terms of just, you know, Instagram reels are a new thing that are kind of an unexploited thing relative to Instagram posting. TikTok's relatively unexploited relative to, let's say, YouTube. Uh, Besides Mm -hmm. kind of just new platforms with, just new platform dynamics. What other, what would you say are the most fundamental changes in the advice or philosophy you have to sales and marketing between book one and book two?
1: Yeah, it would be the privacy revolution is gonna force you to do high quality follow-up and marketing whether you want to or not. So if you look at like the laws and if you look at the privacy rules that have changed, like in my industry in real estate, we were one of the first to take a major blow where they changed the ad targeting options for just our industry. Like if you're a real estate agent because because of housing, yeah. Housing urban discrimination, like HUD versus Facebook in the court, you know, the fair housing act, you know, the housing and urban development, you know, organization that the, like the government basically sued Facebook. And they said, you're empowering people to break the rules around targeting. And so what it really was, was it wasn't that you were including people you couldn't include. It was sort of like by not including everyone, you're discluding people you're supposed to include. So it was, it was, I don't think anybody was really necessarily trying to break the rule. And like, it wasn't like necessarily like redlining or something like that. That's like incredibly important to figure out and stop. But it was more sort of like, well, I have a listing in this neighborhood. And normally when that happens, I do mail around it. And I invite the people that live near it. I wouldn't do mail to the whole city of Orlando. That would be just goofy and foolish. And no one would expect me to. When it came to like Facebook ads, you drop a pin on the house that you had the listing in and do a one mile circle and well, that went away <laughs> and everything else <laughs> did too. Age went away. Uh, income went away. Job title, college, everything went away. It's basically like training wheels. It's like age and location go, right? So that was one of the big first kind of chips to fall and everybody in our industry freaked out. But then it's like, okay, well, what about what Apple's doing? With, do you want this app to track you or not? Everybody says no. What about when you visit a website and it says, "Do you want to allow cookies?" People say no. So that, that if you start to look around, you go, okay, websites are being forced to make it explicit that you're opting in. Apple and apps is doing it now. They're doing it in email. So the like when I get my report for my email marketing, I have like a separate tab for like apple privacy opens because app, there's people that have the used the mail app on apple and they basically have opted out of tracking opens or clicks for the for their account so i started looking at all this i'm like man this is starting to pile up and there's more that i'm not mentioning one would be on the sales side instead of the marketing side spam calls suspected spam Calls being sent to junks, calls being silenced, that is a new a newer phenomenon you ask since the book came out. So if you add everything up I just said where, you know, the text message laws, the phone call laws, the technology that's filtering that stuff is gonna become indefensible. Because think about this. If I'm in a CRM doing the traditional call a hundred people and two answer, and of the two that answer one, the call's like twenty-eight seconds that data is going to cause you to either be kind of suspected spam or not on your phone number. Whereas before, like an email you would think of as Marcus spam. Well, now if you're bothering people and bugging people and annoying people, you're going to end up having to like switch phone numbers and like, you know People what I mean? to like, start
0: warming up phones, like phone, <laughs> yeah. auto phone warmers. And phone I'm warmer telling groups. you, and
1: it's because of all these dialers and all this, like they trick you and they freaking act like they're calling from your own area oh, code. Yeah. Let me tell you one time someone called me and it was me calling me. I called myself. My number came up and it was ringing and it was my phone. You know what I mean? I didn't even answer myself. (laughs) I ignored my (laughs) own call because it's just like, I figured it out. So that kind of stuff worked and then it doesn't stuff works and then it doesn't. So the book that I wrote, I'm going to update it every five years plus or minus. I'm going to have to, because what people are willing to put up with will change. We always think of the sort of cool new stuff we can do with marketing, but the consumer empowerment movement is a big part of book two because it's a big part of you know my day-to-day reality when I'm doing marketing, um, I'm losing filters, I'm getting pop-ups, I, I hate it. And then it's like, I, I joke with people, we hate it when it's happening to us and then we go clock in and it's like, okay, how can we annoy people? How can we trick them into chatting with our fake AI bot that we gave a cute little name? You know, here, uh, meet my assistant, she's gonna help chat with you. Uh, and figure out these questions, and it's like it's just AI, and the and then it and then it fails, it like malfunctions, and the smoke comes out, and it's like oh, great brand experience there. So it's tricky right now. It's the wild west a little bit, and people typically and back to my one of my favorite mentors, Gary V. Marketers ruin everything. Mm-hmm. So right now, uh, the things that they've ruined have like tramp stamps on. Them. <laughs> like a tattoo on your app now. It's like a, a branding on your website at the bottom. It's like a scar. You know what I'm saying? And that's the cost for doing annoying stuff for too long. Eventually, the government steps in. Eventually, the technology companies have to step in and change. That, to me, is something not enough people talk about, quite frankly, um, is how annoying we can be and what's being done about it. And what ends up happening is you wake up one day and so much has changed that it's like, oh man, there's no pixels. <laughs> there's no third-party data. There's no email data. Our calls are getting routed to spam. Like when you fig- when you start twiddling your thumbs and you're wondering why nobody's picking up your calls, <laughs> people are already not picking up your calls. So you're not even gonna think it's broken. You're going to keep calling thinking it's a normal day because no one's answering. And you may, I could see people going weeks or months before I had a guy on Twitter and he sent me an email. He said, Chris, my clients that I'm working with, like the people whose home is listed right now with him, working with him are telling him that half of the time when he calls them, it says suspected spam. He might want to look into that. And it's because from that same number, he's pounding the phone his numbers connected to his CRM, his numbers connected to his dialer. Yeah. That's like a triple dialer. And so that to me is like, man, when that moment happens, right. When the client mentions it, then you freak out and figure it out. I'm just suggesting people should figure it out. Yeah, before how much never have I been yeah. wasting
0: for the past however many weeks? Right. Yep. Yeah. And it's back to what you said at the very beginning. It's that's why the, the new superpower is, I mean, it's always been amazing, but. Now it's kind of a necessity. It's table stakes to have inbound be, I mean, a, a big majority of your pipeline. Because mm-hmm. yeah, otherwise you're buying high quality leads and those
1: are going to be expensive. Like if I'm a real estate agent, I can go to Zillow and invest in leads, but it's going to cost me, you know, and then, but then if I want to do great inbound marketing and content, that's going to cost me too. You know, those are really the, the only two ways to get high quality leads is a high quality lead source. Like there's some leads in real estate where it's like the Dave Ramsey leads where this trusted financial guru is telling his disciples to call this number or to go here to find a realtor that you can trust. Cause they believe what I believe. Those are very high quality leads and But what ends up happening is whether it's Zillow or Dave Ramsey, they end up actually charging a referral fee. They don't call it that because it's probably illegal to call it that. But they take a percentage of your commission as the cost versus in the past, a flat, call it traditional fee. Well, if I send you a customer, if I said, hey, uh, I've got a data analytics company that wants to hire you guys. It's a $100,000 client. They're ready to sign up they're good to go. I already talked to them. They're ready. They're ready to be on your calendar. Uh, but you're going to have to give me 30,000 of the dollars. Almost every business in the world would take that deal because it was acquisition. It wasn't a lead. Most businesses are smart enough to say, if you generate the revenue, you can keep part of it. I'm cool with that. It's found money. Yeah. Like prove it. So there's things called Zillow flex and there's all these different kind of like new ways to pay for leads where, you know what? We're not even gonna send you a bill. You can pay us on the back end when we succeed together. It feels like a win-win and and it is in many ways. But when you are shackled to the lead provider, they get to control the terms. Now, if the leads suck and none of them convert, all that power goes away. But Zillow is a brand. Zillow has the traffic, Zillow has the clicks, right? So they have the leverage and most real estate agents don't. So what what my company does, and I I know your audience isn't really real estate agents, but we're sort of almost like saying, you need to do what Zillow's doing, which is generate high quality leads by building your brand and allowing people to search without registering and all these cool things Zillow does. But at the same time, that's a lot of work and that's going to cost a lot of money. And so we're almost like saying the same way that you're willing to pay Dave or Zillow, you should be willing to do that for search engine leads or social media leads. Right. And then it's just back to what's on Zillow. If we get leads that if we have seller leads and appointments, like if I set a listing appointment for a realtor, Again, they'll virtually give me almost anything that I ask for because I got them the client. So that's where this is headed is if you don't do the real work and do the real marketing and build the real content machine, the cost is like a restaurant. Uber Eats. 18% is going to Uber in many cases of the bill. Well, you didn't have a mobile app. Domino's does. Domino's ain't paying like, Right. Southwest, another good example in airlines. They're not on orbits, right? There's these certain brands that have been able to avoid that challenge. But it's because they offered the same or a better experience very, very quickly. Domino's app is as good or better as ordering from Uber Eats. But the other place I order from, Little Anthony's, by the way, went out of business, RIP, they didn't have an app. They didn't even have a website that was good on mobile. So of course, like I'm literally going to uber eats to order from this restaurant that i easily could just order from them and if i did they would make so much more money so th- whoever controls the client and the cash register controls the terms of the sale and so uber you know what are you going to do if 80% of your business as a chinese restaurant is coming from uber eats and doordash what are you going to do do something about it you can't or you hire engineers or you hire a company to help you create your own app you do a campaign you push it, you get billboards, you do mail, you do ads, you talk to every person that comes in, right? So it's hard either way, <laughs> it's hard either way. It's just that when you build it sort of and you own it, and the lead is from you know something you did versus purely paying for the lead, eventually there's a big upside to that. Even though the investment up front is still the same sort of time, money, patience, uh, that you would almost always recommend people factoring in to a new endeavor.
0: Yeah, sales and marketing
1: folks, it's not easy. No, it's only fun at the conferences. You
0: know? <laughs> it's only fun at the <laughs> conferences. Now, uh, speaking of this might be your answer to this question. A lot of people clearly look to you uh, to keep themselves on the frontier, right? You're posting snippets of just like, hey, this is a really interesting idea. Like you know, Spotify ads, people aren't doing those. So you should check those out. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you looking to keep yourself on the frontier?
1: Yeah. it's uh, Well, that's a great question. I look almost everywhere. I really, really have turned. At one point, I hired a researcher and just said, go look for me and vet the stuff (laughs) because the stuff is always so bad. I don't even want to see it until a human looks at it first. But the the short answer is I'm using the same internet everybody else has access to. I'm using Twitter. I'm using Product Hunt. Uh, the, The people I follow on Twitter, pretty good source of info. Product Hunt, very good source of like apps, tools, software that I find. The creativity is when you see it, you have to be able to connect two steps ahead of it, which is like, okay, now that I found this thing, A, is it even truly useful? Because that's such a big question that we have to almost always ask ourselves if so, if something's a waste of time or not. And then B, if it is useful, what are the specific use cases for it? How could I, act, like, what would I actually do if I were to use it? If I were them, because if I don't bring those two things to the table, it's not worth just saying, check out this cool new app. That's what product hunt can do for me. Cause I'm teaching business people, marketing people, salespeople. I have to turn that corner and say, if I were using this new cool screenshot tool called snapper X N a P P E R takes beautiful screenshots. Like it's crazy cool. If I was using that, as a practicing marketer, what do I do with it? Well, number one, I'm putting it in my email newsletter. It's a really quick and beautiful way for me to add it. Number two, I'm using it a lot to put things in my deck. Number three, I'm using it actually to do social media, like tweetograms where I take a a tweet and then I carousel. Yeah. So that I think is probably why people enjoy following my stuff because I'm always trying to turn that corner because if I don't turn the corner, it's just you know, you're just reading the headlines about cool new tools. It's not really that fun for me. So I also use things like Feedly. Um, Feedly is just sort of an old school RSS reader where you choose a bunch of different sources and, you know, HubSpot puts out fire. Adweek puts out fire there, you know, there's sources that are better than others that are more consistent for practical, actionable information, which is what I'm seeking. The other one, and this is like a crazy pro tip that no one knows about. I, I know you don't know about this. No one knows about this. But as far as building now. a dashboard to get content coming your way from your category mm-hmm. and then being able to filter through it quickly, save it, use it, tweet it, like bring it internal to to do something better with it. It's called Curatora. Okay, I hate this because my company's called Curator. It's very similar. but It's, it's Curator. It's the, it's the word curator the right way. C-U-R-A-T-O-R. So it's the word curator mm-hmm. spelled properly and then an A at the end. So it's basically curatora, I guess. I don't know these guys. Okay. I'm, wa- I'm going to buy it from them, by the way. That's my goal. So curatora <laughs> is it takes your sort of categories and it takes your interests. And then for me, what's really great is it does like a tender mode where I swipe right to save yeah. it and left to not see it again. And then it gets smarter based on my choices, kind of like uh something like Pandora or Spotify, how it would kind of learn my preferences. Yeah, and then the the nice thing about that one for most people is I'm using it to bring in data, go write my email newsletter, go write a book, go put it into a big speech. Most people, they're more of a pure curator. That's probably why it's called that, where if you set up a feed of like, the most interesting real estate statistics or the most interesting listings that celebrities have sold, whatever your feeds are for your thing that you want content coming to you. What the app actually is meant to do is help you kind of reshare it with your stuff, with your kind of commentary added. You know, I'm more so going reading it, taking it snippet from it in Google doc, and it, then putting it into an email newsletter called the Chris list. So I don't use it the way most people should but i like it a lot and i and no one's heard of it curatora <laughs> so that you know those are feedly curatora uh twitter lists of high quality yeah. people that share great marketing and sales advice i have a couple email newsletters for myself the one that i would say if of every email newsletter i've ever done uh the one that i thought was probably overall the best would be like marketing brew okay. uh um, which is, that is from by morning. morning brew yeah, yeah it's morning brew but it's sort of the niche next down marketing one marketing group level. for a minute one. Yeah. yeah the, and it's so funny because I have my email newsletter. Chris list is C H R I S content, how to research inspiration and stats. That's how I structured it. Oh, that's a good form. And that's I clever. looked at the hustle. They got a great email newsletter. I looked at, gosh, there's a few different that are good, but what I loved about marketing brew. And I, I thought about this for my own newsletter. I actually only really like, like whatever the main story is, is almost always interesting and then at the very bottom, they had a section called Cafe Press or French Press. I can't even remember. French Press, I think. And but that was like their little widget inside of a larger email newsletter that had the like practical, actionable marketing tips. So for them, it wasn't their big focus. But for me, as the reader of the newsletter, again, trying to find stuff for my own stuff, I would literally get it and scroll straight to that every time. It's the very bottom. It was easy to remember. So with mine, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a stats at the end because worst case, even if you don't even want to read all this other stuff that I've got in there, quick, quick scroll, quick stats, and you're out. So, or or maybe the inspiration, which that's my favorite. You have five
0: possible hooks.
1: Yes, dude. And they're all different. So like the, and they're very different, even research and stats. That one sometimes in my brain, I'm like, which one is different, but content. All that is, is anything I want. That's the most interesting as hell one was a study about how sound impacts conversion rate at grocery stores
0: interesting that's your freebie just for your natural curiosity yeah there was one that was
1: there was one about the wolf of wall street is getting lonely because salespeople are lonely than ever it was this huge study in hbr it was basically saying like the loneliness of covid is actually impacting your revenue and we can prove it now i thought that was important because it's like maybe you haven't had a huddle in a while like you need to maybe pat these people on the back and shake them up a little bit because now it's impacting you not just them so i find one thing that's interesting how to is very clear but for me inspiration's fun because it's a marketing campaign an ad campaign a video a commercial something that inspired me so anyway the, if you, if you were to recreate that for your niche and that idea you know that get you right I, there's a couple of realtors and their email newsletter is not what you would think. It's not just like listings and then market stats. A lot of the most popular ones are much more about the things happening in the community, the free things to do with kids, the festival that's coming up, like that kind of more of like a calendar of events. Mm -hmm. That's That people like more than just getting listings all the time. And then even I, I know this guy named Tristan, he's the CMO of success.com. Now very successful has a, a group called lab agents. So. Yeah. He's, <laughs> I guess he has to be, I was thinking, Oh, cool. Hey, I'm success.com. I am the CEO of success, <laughs> um, but he's the C, he's the new CMO of success. We go way back. And he actually, at one point was saying that, uh, it was like these, his book he would grab like a book he was reading and a podcast he was listening to and a movie that he loved or a show on Netflix. It was more sort of like, it really had nothing, nothing to do with real estate. And he, people would just say like, Hey, I always like check out your podcast recommendation or I always look at your book that you, that you're reading. Uh, so what are you going to do in between the sale before the sale, after the sale, whatever you sell, most people don't want it. Most people aren't interested. I think where the real estate industry is actually blessed is that 99.9% of people don't want what you sell. And even if they do, they ain't going to buy it by clicking. It ain't an e-commerce thing. It's not click, click, buy. You know, some of these guys are trying to make it that it's not going very well for them. It's not profitable to turn a home into an e-commerce play, at least so far. It hasn't shown a path to profitability and some huge companies like Zillow have bailed on even trying. So to me, that is sort of like, okay, what is going to be interesting to the masses, but that is related to the money. So for me, I just give away marketing and sales advice, tips, tricks, tools, everything I can. I love teaching. I do it all day, every day, but like I consult companies on that. I write books on that. I sell courses in a membership about that. You know, it, it's a direct line and that's valuable. You know, I don't, and I don't want to discredit other sort of departments and companies. I own a company. I love every department. Let me say that. But it, in a lot of organizations, they're going to value something like someone who can make the sales team convert more leads. They're going to put a higher price on that than an HR person that can help them become uh, remote compliant and they're both needed. You see what I'm saying? But yeah. you know, the COO is arguably more valuable day to day and month to month and year to year than any of the salespeople or marketing people. But marketing and sales are what fuel the company. They're what pays everyone. They're the most important thing. And so that is so valuable. So if I go in and I say, I'm working with this really cool company called Quility, their major life insurance company, they're awesome. And they do direct mail. So we're looking at their direct mail and we're saying, what is the little lever or word or when they text or when they scan the QR code or when they do that and then get to the landing page or when they do that, get to the landing page, opt in, and then get the automated SMS where is the upside we can find in that funnel? And man, when you, when you find that little lever for a company like that, that's doing hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably a day in digital and traditional, it's really valuable. So I don't know if people ask themselves that often if the thing that they're putting out there is truly valuable because Getting really great advice and help while you sell your home is really valuable. It is, you know, and, but if you have a food blog and you're a foodie and we have a lot of clients that go that route, they go more of the passion content marketing route that can work too. You just got to be more obvious and intentional about letting people know they can turn that corner. So I got a buddy yesterday. Great call. He's a sports photographer he goes to all the sporting events for all the best high schools and all the colleges and they love him and they're knocking down his door they're throwing their information at him because they want the pictures because they're so good and meanwhile he's a realtor so what <laughs> and it's sort of like what how do i connect those dots in that example you connect those dots very intentionally you you request 30 seconds on the mic at the basketball game to let people know that if you like my pictures of your kids You'll love my pictures of your house. That's what I do. That it, see what I'm saying? But you, you got it. Do not think people will connect the dots for you if there's a little bit of a not so straightforward path from your stream of content you put out to the cash register of what you sell. Not everybody is going to actually be passionate about creating content that is Super specific to the thing they do. And that's okay. I think you're better off to create the stuff you'll actually create that you love, that you enjoy. Because if you, if you sort of only have a content marketing strategy or calendar built on what other people want you to re- create or what someone told you to create or what the search engines are sort of showing you maybe should create, right? You can do that stuff too. But uh, you know, and I know, and people that really do create content long-term, you will quit, you will give up, your Facebook group will become a graveyard, you'll stop putting out content. So that's a that's a tricky balance to find, but it's a meeting worth having with yourself or with your team.
0: Yeah, there's so much valuable kind of things. And there's a lot of relation between the things you're saying now and the things you're saying earlier in the sense, you know, right at the beginning, you're saying, if you're just a real estate agent, kind of giving out the the channels are too crowded for that level one introductory advice mm-hmm. and more than likely you kind of have to be really creative to give out like high level advice consistently, unless you're being really intentional about building kind of like an inbound funnel of learning for yourself, mm-hmm. you're more likely to like be successful in the content creation game with something unique and enthusiasm and just like property management, one hundred one or real estate agent, one hundred one. like that niche is taken.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's taken in the sense that people have already either seen that content or had a chance and, and, you know, consumed it, or it's so capped and obvious that it's going to be hard to rank for. It's not even really a play, like not even really worth doing for the search engine reasons because um, how to buy a home, how to sell a home. (laughs) Nobody needs you to, to, to talk through that. What people probably would be interested in the content marketing game would be the story of how trying to help somebody sell their home went off the rails. (laughs) You know, kind of, here's what, like, it's almost like when they do those true crime podcasts, you know, it's almost like that type of storytelling is the thing that on the internet is gonna actually do really good. Um, Yeah. And so- Do you
0: follow Trunk on Twitter? Who's that? Trunk
1: Fam. Trunk? No, I will. No, if they said Trump. I was gonna say. I thought they took him off. I thought Trump wasn't yeah. on Twitter. Hey, he was good at Twitter too. <laughs> yeah, he's great at Twitter. He's, got, he he's great at Twitter, and
0: he's probably gonna be back. Um, but who is Trump? We'll see. He was actually a writer for The Hustle at one point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he writes basically, you know, business breakdowns, but he does it in that super dramatized way. So like, yes. just like the story of like how Disney became a large company. It's not like. They had these marketing channels and they had these parks. It's like, now he's like this dramatized, yes. super true crime style, mm-hmm. dramatic, like all the hooks, just human emotion, all the storytelling elements. And he blew up so fast.
1: Yeah, I bet. And it's because it's so rare. There's actually a book. It's one of my favorite books. It's called Hatching Twitter. And it's Nick Bilton. Nick Bilton is a you know professional journalist, respected journalist, but it's based on a true story, which is the, the inside story of Twitter and yeah. they got all these different co-founders and all these different personalities. And it is an absolutely page turner. It is so good. You you read it like it's fiction. You read it in one sitting,
0: unlike most business books. But yeah, we were you, talking mm-hmm. uh, before we got started about, you know, Bitcoin and crypto. And I'm always asked the question, how do I learn about Bitcoin or crypto? Right. It's like mm-hmm. what I always tell people is to read Ben Mesrich's book, like Bitcoin billionaires, Ben mm-hmm. Mesrich. Wrote this the book that became the Social Network movie, right? Mm-hmm. Which is also the story mm-hmm. of Facebook, but with all the drama and everything else. And you wrote the same style of book, but for yeah. something that happened in Bitcoin. And you learn how what Bitcoin is, why it matters, how it's important. But the whole book is just like there's a nerdy Jewish right. kid from Brooklyn, and he's mm-hmm. trying to bring this idea to the world, and he gets rich and goes to nightclubs, and it's just like a funny, crazy book. But you yeah. definitely know what Bitcoin is by the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's uh, the the I forget the uh, well the Silk Road was it's a fascinating story i I listened to the audible and yeah that that type of entertainment edutainment is Mm -hmm. it's rare because it's not your first thought of how to put something out there i talk about the impact of storytelling in my book on even things like emails and blog posts and like time on page and it's almost like you just have to ask yourself if you're taking that approach and I don't always do it. It's not always natural, you know, but it definitely works better. And the guy that you're saying blew up. Well, first of all, the social network was exactly like hatching Twitter. So that, that it it might, it it isn't the same guy, but HBO is actually going to pick up a show on the back of hatching Twitter. So it's, it's just a similar outcome as far as and so I bet Bitcoin billionaires is exactly the same thing. It's the people, it's the story, it's the trenches, it's the exactly, stuff you don't, yeah. the story. And by the way, do you think people really want to read the white paper by Satoshi? Do you think I'm going to show that to my- White aunt? paper's nine pages. No one's going to read
0: that straight through. The book's 300 pages and people are going to read it in one sitting. I
1: know, I know. And that's, it's positioning. That's one of the big things at the conference last week was like, uh, how many of you guys love this stuff? And you think it's the future and every hand goes up. And then it's like, how many of you have had a tough time convincing someone else that that's true? And every hand goes up.
0: Every other hand be, goes up, yeah.
1: Right. Because you have to be able to take white-collar ideas and make them into blue-collar messaging. You know, my my co-founder, Jimmy, every time he says this, he kind of, um, he does like a disclaimer, kind of like, you're not, you, you know, don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> he always gives me <laughs> one of those. But the the hook is, you're the king of dumbing shit down. You're you're very, very good at taking what is actually a complex topic or idea, presenting it in a way that makes it A, easy to understand, and then B, makes people feel, oh, God forbid, I might be able to do what he's talking about. And there's studies about this stuff, man. There's the whole fifth grade reading level, the average reading level. But I'm just telling you, not every like Gary V is not an intellectual. Grant Cardone is not an intellectual. We are not using large words. We are not academics. You know what I'm saying? The conversation around the table at Thanksgiving is way more sophisticated in other people's homes than it is in mine. But mine's fun to observe because of the presentation of the information. And so that's another thing I think as we are talking about content and the book and what's changed. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, just checking the box of doing it made you cool. Now, everybody has a podcast. Everybody has a blog, a Twitter, a TikTok. In in a, a book I wrote called People Work, it's sort of like a we use a hotel analogy. There was a point, and I know this is hard for people to think about, but there was a point very recently. Where not every hotel had electricity and then things like air conditioning, some of these things that we consider basic nowadays be more of the Wi-Fi and, you know, I don't just want the Wi-Fi. I want the Wi-Fi with the print screen of the freaking gigs that it gets from fast.com. You know what I mean? People Mm -hmm. are keep pushing for more that they want, but about 120 years ago, we have lights. Is all you needed to say because the other hotel didn't have them. And then we have AC worked and then we have room service worked. And now it's like, here's a cookie. Here's a water. Like we looked you up on Twitter and we know your preferences and hello, Mr. Smith, how's your evening? And, you know, and then there's all these points and systems, right? And there's all these like rock bottom prices on Hotwire and orbits and all these different places where you can get a deal. But then it's kind of like, okay, well, what if tomorrow uh, Marriott came out with a new campaign and they said, we have plugs, we have electricity, we have beds, we have lights, we have doors, we have bathrooms with hair dryers. That is what people right now are sort of doing when they approach this stuff. We have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have LinkedIn, we have TikTok, we have email, right? It's the same thing. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It is it is absolutely insignificant to the world that you're doing these things. What's very significant is the quality of what you do with them. So it's, it, we have entered the era where it's not the nail, it's the carpenter. It's not the easel, it's the painter. It's not the platforms, it's the person using them. And what I find is that there is a very, very lack of creative ideas very, very few people have original creative ideas. There's way more people doing the dance than designing the dance on TikTok. And so number one, if you do believe that you are the sort of genesis and origin of really clever and creative ideals, do them and go all in and push because you're not very common. But if you love the idea of being ahead of the curve and innovative and bleeding edge and doing the cool new stuff, which is what most people are, then you need to observe and execute, observe and execute, observe and execute. And that's where the people that you follow, they're not even necessarily going to teach you anymore. I happen to teach this stuff, but some of the people that you're mentioning that blew up and some of the people that are blowing up right now, there is so much that you could learn through observing what they're doing. Uh, one example is Glenda Baker. She blew up on TikTok 400, 500, 600, 700. You know, she's getting, uh, she may be at a million as far as followers. She's a real estate agent outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And the way that she blew up is she realized I'm not good at filming videos. If it's just me and a camera in an empty room, but if somebody asks me questions, I'm freaking great. So I'm just going to sit at a table with someone and have them ask me questions and I'm going to answer those and talk to them the way that I would normally. And I'm just going to film it from the side and her videos from the side. When they first started coming out, she shared this with me. People would make fun of her and be like, Hey, uh, hello, the camera's over here. What's wrong with you now? You know what I see? I see hundreds and thousands of the best creators on the planet shooting from the side (laughs) while they're doing a podcast. And so I don't need Glenda to say, hey, Chris, uh, this, this whole sort of side angle thing is working. I'm like, give me a camera, put it on the side. This is a huge unlock. You can be dialed in with a person and speak passionately, but capture it and use it on social. I'm all in. And then you iterate when you find these cool ideas for yourself. So for me, it did bother me that it was from the side. It did and it still bothers me. So I did something about it. So I'm like, okay, I love what Glenda's doing, but I'm going to make it my own, which I think is a really important part of this. Even when you're sort of more observing or call it modeling or copying the people that are great at it, you always should make it your own. Even if it's just a little smidge, let's call it. So for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get the best parts of what she figured out, which is recording conversations with people, not recording content and videos. And that was the big, for me, the big epiphany. And so then it's almost like Darwinism has kicked in for me where the camera was sort of over here. And, and now I know you can't see it cause it's behind where we're sitting. But my Sony, the, the eye line is just above the eye line of my webcam. And so now when I'm looking at this and I'm talking to you and we're doing this, I'm doing exactly the same thing I was doing, but now I've actually got it where it's actually almost like straight on, you know, it's, it's, it's basically at the point where I can literally do this. And then the person on TikTok sees me do this. And guess what? When you look at people on TikTok, it does do better. If you could choose, you should look at them in the eye. That is what call it a professional creator is doing. They're observing and then they're saying okay i know that's important i'm going to do it and then i need to make it my own and then and then sort of everybody kind of contributes to the idea like right now something that's blowing up is green screens everybody should be doing green screens on reels and tiktok pull up an article behind you point at it talk about it yep. like and gary v's doing a million of those i'm like okay he looks at the data he would never do like 50 of them as a test, (laughs) he would, you know, he would never do that many. It would never become such a regular part of his feed if it wasn't performing well, because he lets the audience decide. He lets the algorithm decide he's not married to the strategy and you see how often he's willing to pivot and change. So I'm like, okay, green screen is killing it. What is my touch on green screen? Well, the green screen is really cool, but it is a little like, it's a little pixelated. It you know the, the the camera is your selfie cam and it is just like a screenshot of a website behind you. But the idea is so cool. So now what I'm doing with my team right now is we're figuring out how do we do a green screen but we do it with pro tools. So like it'll still look setup. just like Yeah, like it'll still you want it to look like it looks, but how do you do a 4K version of a green screen I wanna do that because I want people to say, how'd you do that? Because you can't do that with your phone. So that's me, but then it's kinda of like, well, when you do the green screen, sometimes it's like a hard corner over you. Mm-hmm. So you bring those rough elements into the new polished version of trying to iterate. So that would be my last piece of advice for your audience would be iterate when you steal. Yes, great artists steal. <laughs> we are all copying somebody At this point, probably, even if it's unbeknownst to us, but even when you steal, you should tweak and you should say, how do I take this idea and do it right for me and for my brand and for my audience? And then you never actually end up quite doing a a full blown plagiarism.
0: There's a lot there. Chris, you have tons more tips. I think you gave out maybe less than 1% of the ideas that you have when it comes to marketing channels and strategies worth trying and sales tips, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Where's the best place for people to find the book and the full title one more time? And then also if they just prefer bite-sized content, if they're not book people, their second best option.
1: Yeah. Well, there's book people, there's audio book people for sure. And so theconversioncode.com is the easiest, but if you go to Amazon, search it's a the great website, code. very well designed
0: for a book. <laughs> Thank it's you. Thank you. some fun animation, some fun copy. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that
1: because you know when I did that, I you know, and I am one of these people that like is is sort of purposefully trying to do things that are different and unique. And I've never so seen I... a book
0: website like that. I haven't.
1: Thank you. I'm glad you said that. I hired a European design firm to do it. I said, the reason I'm hiring you is because no one ever would ever hire you ever to do a book website or a business book website. And so that's why I'm hiring you. And it was this beautiful experience and it came out amazing. And it, it extends so far beyond the book. They built the brand, you know, they built the, the, the feel, the, the, the sort of, it was so cool to do that, but thank you for noticing that. And what's so funny is all of those design trends that you see there the, the animations, the scrolls, the dark mode when data hits, like, those are the things that no one's doing yet, but those are yeah. the things that the web designers that are winning awards for their, like the agencies that are the best agencies At their in the conferences, world, right? dude, yeah, they're doing they're, all of that stuff yeah. right now. It just hasn't trickled down to like a WordPress theme, right? It hasn't yeah, the VC websites, the way down.
0: especially in crypto, I don't mm-hmm. know if this is the right term for it, but it's a bit of a pissing contest. Like how, if you've looked at like crypto VC websites, mm-hmm. just like how on that, like all of this, the whole point of this website is like, who are your investors and what are your investments? Right. And like, how do I get in touch if I have an idea? Yeah. But it's these like a photographer, are...
1: you just want to see your work and your portfolio. like Literally. It, 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 but they're so yeah. elaborate mm-hmm. because it's
0: like, they're trying to differentiate, especially during the bull market when like it was sure. just money was everywhere. They're trying to yep. differentiate themselves and...
1: Well, design is a differentiator, and that's a big mm-hmm. thing that that I talk about. If I'm going to charge thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars to give a speech, I I want people to maybe think that when they reach out, and that's another part of the reason that I went with more of like a luxury brand feel for a business book it was weird, and it was because that's that my brand is not cheap; it is a luxury brand in some ways when you describe the people that read my stuff and follow my stuff and want to build their business and and sort of use some of my advice they're successful they're driven they're motivated they're innovative they're excited they love what they do they're passionate without hiring a professional agency you don't probably put yourself through the exercises required to output the right brand kit um but yeah, thank you for saying that. It, it means a lot. And th- the whole reason I said all that is I sent it to one of my buddies. I respect his opinion. I think he's amazing. And he basically said, what the hell is this? And he sent it back. And he's like, you're crazy. I don't like it. And, it's, and, and when he said that, I was like, perfect. It's polarizing. Yeah. <laughs> like if the guy that's you the most popular guy page. for doing this yeah. stuff says he hates it. But I know it's where things are going because I did my homework and I studied the space. It was so weird because my first thought was fuck you. And then my second thought was, yeah, he should have said that, you know, because I made choices and my partner's telling me all the time, like you're two to three years ahead on all of your stuff. And you know, that's okay. If you get much more futuristic than that. Uh, and that's where I think Bitcoin and crypto and some of those talking points are a little tricky because you almost have to admit right away that it's where we're headed. And so as soon as you're punting to the reality that's coming, a lot of people tune out because they're just more interested in uh, how it works right now. So anyway, man, thanks for having me on theconversioncode.com. As far as social, Chris underscore S M T H. That is uh, my Twitter and my Instagram. And those are the places I'm the most active. And if you DM and say, hello, I'll,
0: I'll answer back. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone.
0: That's going to close out this conversation with Chris Smith, a couple takeaways for me and then let you do your, your next thing that you're doing. Uh, First takeaway is about inbound marketing and inbound learning Uh, the kind of similarity or symmetry between those two ideas. Uh, So the inbound marketing, right. That's kind of self-evident discussed throughout this podcast. It's not easy to do, but the concept is, you know, you do various things that lead to people, your prospects, your ideal customers coming to you and it makes it more likely that those deals close. Uh, whereas inbound learning is kind of a term I just came up with to describe what Chris does in terms of, you know, how how does he stay ahead of the curve? How's he always finding new ideas? It's because he set up his email or whatever apps you use, whether it's newsletters or the thing or the curate Uh, not Curator, his business, but Curator, a very similar name. He uses apps and tools like newsletters to bring new ideas to him automatically and allow him to stay on top of the curve without actually starting a Google search. That's like new marketing ideas, 2022. That's not going to lead you to anything nearly as interesting as if you subscribe to a newsletter of people whose entire career is sending out new marketing ideas and then let, let that come to you rather than chasing it. Second takeaway is about the privacy revolution. I mean, that's some serious changes in terms of less information you can use to prospect outbound than we had a couple years ago. It's going to, it's just, it's undeniable. It's going to impact your ability to market and to reach the specific people you want to reach as easily or as cheaply. So follow Chris to stay ahead of the curve on how to not let the privacy revolution destroy your business. And then final takeaway, something you hear often on the show can't skip the reps. Now Chris is only this good because he's been at it for this long. Just, Don't expect to be where he's at just from listening to this conversation or just from reading his book. Uh, It's going to give you a lot to try. It's going to give you some mistakes to avoid and hopefully accelerate what you're doing. Uh, But you can still have no reason to think you can skip all the various reps. Support the show in any of the following ways. If you enjoyed this episode and want to encourage us to make more of them, you can subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, another podcast player. Subscribe helps a lot comments. If you're on YouTube or something like that, let us know what you thought of this episode. Say hey on social media. We're always curious to start a conversation with the listener, hear their feedback, super valuable to us. Listen to another episode, share the show with a friend, but most importantly, put the ideas into practice, make a bunch of money, and then hit us up in a couple months and tell us what you learned and how it changed your life for the better. Whatever you do or don't do, we're still grateful to you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.